Welcome to another episode of the Wicked Aloha podcast. Today, Patrick and I got a chance to sit down and talk with our good friend Chris Begg about one of his favorite toys, the hydrofoil. So please enjoy as we dive into the four F's, fun, foiling, physics, and philosophy. Welcome to another episode of the Wicked Aloha podcast. This is Will, and I am here with my co-host, Patrick. We are in the same place together for the first time in probably around eight months. And today, we are sitting down with our good friend, Chris Begg. We are up on Massachusetts North Shore, uh, where we all met. Chris is an avid foiler. He kites. He's a water sport enthusiast. Patrick and I first met him when we were stand-up paddleboarding. So, Chris, welcome to the Wicked Aloha podcast. You are our first guest. Thank you, Will. It's good to be here. I know this is this is our only our third, but we've only talked to each other. This is amazing. And we're all in the same spot, which doesn't happen very often. It does not happen very often. I uh, I happen to to be back east for. Uh, a little bit and so we thought this would be a good opportunity to just kind of sit down and reminisce about a couple things and, and talk talk a little bit of paddling and ocean and, and life and uh, so here we are it's a miserable snowy gray <laughs> wet dreary day here and I am counting the minutes until I am back on Maui I really don't know how people do this, and I don't know how I did it for 30 years, but um, here we are. So let's talk a little bit just how we met you, Chris. Yeah, and by the way, in, in New England, we, we embrace the weather that we're having today, which is snowy. We got a building swell, probably have seven foot, 10 seconds tomorrow. But unfortunately we have to throw on pretty thick wetsuits to enjoy it. And, uh, but this is our time of year where we get waves. So, but, uh, and it is funny, the total polar opposites and perspective <laughs> you guys have on this, on this weather. Uh, but Will, yeah, we, we all met through stand up paddling. I believe it was the Cape Cod Bay challenge, um, which was a, a 38 mile, uh, crossing between Provin- um, between Plymouth and Wellfleet. It used to start. It used to finish it in Provincetown, and this is a this was an event that's run probably twelve years, thirteen years in a row, and it's for charity. Uh, it wasn't a race, and uh, and benefits all went to Christopher's Haven, which was fighting, uh, helping kids who were dealing with cancer at, at Mass General. Uh, so great cause, just a great group of people. And I think I met both of you as we were kind of halfway across the bay, you know, each, yeah. each uh, drafting, you know, trying to make it through a, a pretty long, grueling day of paddling. That is a long one, man. Even after some pretty big paddles, that one, just because of the duration, being out there the way that they pace it, where the fast people get ahead, over the course of about an hour, and then they stop everybody to let the slow people catch up. And by the time the slow people catch up, they're ready to go again. So the people that need the rest don't get any rest, and the people that don't want to rest get too much rest. And 
It was a long day, man. I think I did it once or twice, and that was, I think the last time I did it was, what, 11 hours or something? Yeah. And it's just, that's a long time to be on the water. I think it's almost always upwind. Almost always turns into an upwind day. Yeah. Well, they switched it. Now it's down the coast, right? It's a coastal run now. Two years ago, now it goes from, um, what are some of those South Shore towns? I don't know that whole coast. Yeah. It's like Hingham to... Deluxebury. Yeah, down to wherever, down by Sandwich somewhere, or Plymouth. But I actually don't remember meeting you there, and I think that's because of the after party. Yes. Um, I don't remember meeting you until after there was a paddle event that went from Boston to Manchester by the sea. Oh, yeah. And I think that is my first recollection of... Um, interacting with you mm -hmm. and um, then that turned into surf sessions and bonfires and all sorts of fun you always seem to be one of those guys who's having the most fun and um, so maybe it's an outlook on the shitty weather <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're doing a lot of foiling now so Talk to us a little bit about your evolution from um, through through water sports to get to foiling, I guess. Because I, I, I think in this room, I'm the only one who is not proficient in foiling. I'm not either. You're not either. No. Okay. So Patrick and I are not proficient in foiling. Chris, talk to us about foiling. Yeah. And, and my, my love of 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 kind of surfing on water and or gliding on water started a little later. Uh, when I grew up on Cape Cod, I we'd drive down to Wellfleet and we'd have skimboards. You know, we we didn't have surfboards back then. It, it, a few friends of mine. We just just loved gliding on skimboards as a young uh, you know teenager, I guess. And then really got into surfing about just out of college and um, kind of transitioned at some point to stand up paddle surfing it, it's was fun felt you know a little bit more dynamic with a paddle and at that point some people were just starting to to race and there was a race uh in new york city called the sea paddle and a friend of mine was doing the sea paddle around new york city so it got into the kind of the race racing um paddle boards transitioned into kite surfing around that same time and from kite surfing to answer your question started to experiment with kite foiling and it was kind of one of those things uh we spent a lot of time in puerto rico and the winds would be light in the morning a little too light to actually kite on a surfboard so we would we kind of start playing around on foils which we could really you know fly large kites and be up and being able to stay upwind using a, uh, a foil board. And and that was kind of fun, but as soon as the wind kind of came up, it wasn't really the right tool for, for surfing a wave. So foiling was always just kind of something that I thought was kind of like, oh, this is a nice light wind uh, feature for kiting. And I guess when a number of individuals, I think it was the guy that is involved in uh, GoFoil started to really 
make the equipment more versatile for different mediums, whether you're surfing or stand up uh, surfing a foil. Uh, so we had more equipment options that allowed for safer, more dynamic uh, use beyond just kite foiling. So I got into it uh, initially uh, on a standup and I bought a GoFoil Kai setup that I mounted on a starboard Hypernut, a 7.4 Hypernut, and uh, it took a while. It was some painful falls, um, uh, falling on the side of the wing, in the rib. Uh, you know, I think the normal progression where you just, you take a couple of beat downs and then you do have a couple breakthroughs and you feel the speed. And the speed is something that I've never felt an immediate addiction in a sport as quickly as I have from, from riding a foil. The, the speed at which you're, you're going from surfing on water to foiling above water feels like you're, you've amplified the speed by 40, 50, sometimes more percent. Uh, so it's that, that feeling of speed and, um, and of the, the quietness of being above the water um, kind of hooked me right away. So from, from those beginning days, which was about three years ago, where I started to, to foil on the stand-up board, I started to just play around with lots of different um, wing sizes, uh, mass sizes uh, behind a boat, and spent a lot of time, especially this past summer, uh, just experimenting on all types of different wind, wing setups uh, to try to maximize um, the ability to both turn, uh, pumping, and all the various kind of challenges, I think, of, of trying to master um, master foiling. And, and uh, so this past, the end of the past summer, we've really just got into uh, toe-in foiling, which, is, which has been uh, an incredible learning curve, uh, having not done a lot of toe-in surfing before. So just beginning to, to learn that, that, that end of it. Uh, but I highly recommend the, the boat time has, uh, has really amplified a um, few of the, the people I do this with our, our learning curve. Yeah. So the only foiling I've done is on an e-foil. Um, you first introduced me to that toy, uh, I think last time I was here, last April, and I failed miserably uh, multiple times for about a half hour straight. And then I was able to demo one again on Maui a few times and different board, same, same, uh, power, same wing, just, just a little bit bigger board. And it made a complete difference. And that feeling of it, it's probably the closest feeling you can get to actually flying. I feel like, mm -hmm. um, it's because like you mentioned, it is so quiet and you're moving so quickly over the surface of the water. It's just, it really is an incredible feeling, um, but I haven't really explored foiling past that, um, even though I am in like probably what some people consider like a mecca of foiling because there's so much, so much foiling going on between downwind foiling and big wave foiling and kite foiling and now wing uh, foiling with the, with the wing the wing kite or whatever um, it's called. Um, 
So there's so much foiling going on, and I'm just still cruising my longboard like a caveman. Yeah, for, for um, your listeners that don't have, are not familiar with the, the e-foil, um, Lyft, which is the company I've been most familiar with, with their electric foils, kind of have been had been developing uh, Nick, who, who you know has been building stand-up paddle surfboards and had been really surfing foils and mostly kite surfing foils. And, and I met Nick and his family uh, in Puerto Rico uh, maybe about 10 years ago. And uh, I knew he had been developing just little by little. And, and he had this idea of putting a motor on, on the foil. And I'm like, that's a crazy idea. And that'll work. And, you know, over the course of, you know, eight years had developed a, a, a piece of technology and equipment that is just phenomenal. Um, um, and that's a, a motor uh, with a, a foil wing setup um, and the board. The whole setup, at least the one that went into commercial production, the battery is about 30 pounds. The board is about 30 pounds. So you're, you have about 60 pound piece of equipment uh, and a wing. And if you're flat water e-foiling, it's incredibly fun, which, which we did um, very fast speeds, you know, 20 miles an hour plus. Uh, but the next iteration is actually using, uh, using the e-foil to, to surf waves. And what Nick, um, I think he partnered with someone actually created a, a propeller that would actually collapse like a, a sailing boat's propeller. And that collapsible prop allows for this uh, less drag uh, so when you actually cut power to the e-foil, the propeller will, will collapse um, and have zero friction or very little friction, and you're able to just to pop up on your wing and, and surf it just a regular, like you would a regular foil. Um, and I, I was, I've been blown away. And this, this summer was the breakthrough summer as far as, uh, you know, finally putting a, a collapsible prop and, and surfing, you know, decent swell in New England with... Uh, with the e-foil with collapsible prop, and it was incredibly fun. Uh, so that's a it's the right tool for the right time. I, I still prefer the pureness of of just foiling a very lightweight setup. Uh, whether the ideal setup would be, you know, t getting towed into a wave where you're you might be on a three foot six inch board and um, in a very very light wing um, and the right wing for the right size waves. Uh, but it is it's an interesting tool with the efoil to be able to uh, maybe to use electricity to, to get out to a break that is inaccessible except by boat um, or or just a, a, a break that barely maybe barely breaks but it's a maybe a meaty wave that uh, would be really just you know perfect for that piece of equipment so something we were talking about getting the reps in earlier today about yeah the on the road to proficiency and anything is getting the reps and the repetitions in. and i think you mentioned the toe the toe foiling i think where the e-foil really shines is that you don't need to be like hey will i got the jet ski let's you know and the boat will's got to work and then it's just if it's a and especially with surfing how spontaneous the nature of it is of like oh shit, the wind's good right now the swell's good right now if you're a partner can't make it happen you're kind of stuck so the beauty of the e-foil is you grab the thing and you got that half hour window where the tide's right the wind's right the swell's right and 
you got to be on it that minute. You grab your e-foil, you head out, and you know, like this summer on Scooby, watching Josh just, yeah, just boom, 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 just going in circles. You know, a couple hours on a charge of a battery, just riding amazing waves, and uh, and a place where waves normally wouldn't be ridden. And that's <clears throat> to follow up on your other stuff of it just makes accessible these all these other spots that normally be overlooked even on gigantic longboards and gliders and standoffs i mean the beauty of when stand-up paddling came in it was it opened up all these spots that normally were overlooked you know because up till that point most people were riding nine sixes you know if they had a longboard it was like oh nine four nine six but you get out there and you still have to have a certain amount of power in the way of a certain amount of steepness but when the stand-ups came in and they were like 12 feet long 32 inches wide you could go out and almost catch like a boat weight style wave. And even that was like the threshold of rideable wave, right? And then what foiling has done is it's taken that level down even one further notch. So now wind swell is possible, boat wake is very possible. So you've got these unbreaking, all you, all you need is a pulse of energy traveling through the water and you can ride it. You don't need the steepness of the face of the wave that you need to plane out on the surfboard now. You just, you get that wing locked in the power center of power and you're just you're surfing it's incredible man yeah and case in point as we this was three weeks ago and we had a decent swell and most of uh, us new englanders who have you know small skiffs in the water that we take to certain certain breaks um all our boats have been pulled out for the winter so the efoil was a perfect piece of equipment to for a two mile run so it took about two miles to get out to this break and um you know, still had enough battery for about an hour and 20 minute sessions, probably 40 waves, 40 to 50 waves. And when are you going to do that? 40 to 50 waves in any session. <laughs> and, uh, and powered back, back to the parking lot. Um, so that was kind of a, you know, unique opportunity for the right, right tool. Um, so one thing I love about having conversations is with, with you is that you take something and you analyze it and you figure it out and you break it down um, for people who haven't done this or haven't taken like a physics class or have no idea. And I'm sure you've done this. And if you haven't, you can, you can obviously pass on the question, but can you explain the physics behind how a hydrofoil works? Mm. Patrick, you're probably better at this than I am. You're the, you're the engineer. Well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I mean, layman's physics, I think. Because I, I constantly, like, people will see it and they'll be like, I just don't know how that works. Yeah. And so, yeah, so the way that an airplane wing works is the bottom, you have a top and a bottom of the wing, right? So the bottom is generally flat or concave, and the, the top of the wing is generally convex and higher. So what happens is, is if you go, if you take the leading edge of the wing and the trailing edge of the wing, if it were flat across the bottom, like a commercial airline wing, say it's 24 inches, right? So then you have the top one, which is a convex surface from the same point to point, but you've introduced a longer line because you, we've created a curve. So if you took two strings and you tied them off, you had two nails at 24 inches apart and you pulled one string tight and then you pulled the other string three inches high and tied it tight, you'd find that that string is actually a, not substantial, but a little bit longer than that lower one. So what's happening is the air hits this wing, it's having to travel 
the same distance over a longer a longer distance from the same two points. So what happens is, is it accelerates. And when wind accelerates or water or a medium accelerates, it creates lower pressure. So that creates lift. And so what happens is, and the way that the wings are working, and because they can fly, like if you look at a kite, a kite foil wing, it's tiny. It's super high aspect, which is width to, to cord length ratio, cord being the front to back, front edge to trailing edge. And so what's happening with the water is it's so dense. I can't, I couldn't tell you what, um, I don't know how much denser, I mean, I guess we could Google it, how, how much more of a percentage water is density wise than air. But so you can actually look up lift charts on these, on these hydrofoil, I actually have a book on it. And you can see that for a 200 pound load at 15, 14 miles per hour or something, you only need two square feet of surface area to get to lift 200 pounds. So, so how does that work with a wave? So with a wave, so if you're, if you're starting at zero mm -hmm. and you're, you're on, say you're on a stand up paddleboard foil, mm -hmm. you're starting at the speed of zero, you give three or four paddle strokes, mm -hmm. a couple pumps, and all of a sudden you're going 20 miles an hour yeah. down a wave that's not even breaking yeah. the foil. Yeah. Well, you still, you still have to use the board to get into the wave, which is the key. You can't just, I mean, there are people now that can just stand up on their board and pump away and create the lift by pushing the board down and forward, which forces the water across the wing, which creates lift. But so when you're, you know, when the board is going in, whether you're stand up or kiting or e-foiling or paddling in, you're actually using that wave to generate the speed. If you look at a lot of the, sh the shittier waves that are being foiled, which is kind of the, everybody looks for junky waves now. If you look at most times, the boards are down to three or four feet now, but they're super thick. But if you look at it, people aren't taking off in the pocket yeah. like they would on a, on a good wave. They're actually getting hit by the white water and then accelerating out into the flats, getting to their feet and then lifting and then coming across the wave and using. So what's happening when with a wave is the water, there's a, there's a band of energy traveling through the water. It's actually the water is not moving, it's the energy that's moving. So I think what happens is as that water moves up with the swell, it's creating an upward force. And I think what that the wing does is it locks into that energy and as that energy is rising, it's creating that lift and wanting it to propel forward. But I think with a wave, you can, you know, you're, you're actually going down the face of the wave or down the line. And if you're going down the line, the wave is coming across and it's just that you're basically just harnessing energy. I, I don't know the exact details. Yeah. And the, the one thing that I'd say the evolution of, of wing design is how do you maximize speed stability uh, while dealing with turbulence? So like we've seen a lot of a lot of variations on wing design to maximize uh, your ability to have uh, lift for pumping for ease of getting off the water. Um, we'll still have we're still maintaining really good versatility in in turning, um, with also uh, dealing with turbulence and, and turbulence. If you're, if you're flying a plane, an air wing, or if you're flying it, is is just as that water hits the wing, you know, you're going to feel that turbulence. You're going to feel an instability. Yeah, or white water if you're going through foam. White water. Yeah. So what, like, my everyday 
uh, so I'm riding my favorite quiver right now for for uh, foils is is the Armstrong uh, wings um, that and his his evolution has just been incredible. That now what I might have had three wings that I was interchanging out an 800, a 1200, and a 1600 uh, uh, centimeter wings. I, I I've kind of now gravitated to his newest design, which is his 1550 wing, which is the perfect amount of speed and stability and control that I was feeling in my, on my 1200, but with way more lift and way more ability to handle uh, turbulence that I was getting on my 1600. So it, um, so it's just interesting just in the last year or two years, there's been so much, uh, so much new equipment that, that's kind of maximizing the physics uh, just with be better and better development. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I've noticed is that I can't keep up with the technology of most things. It's like you buy one thing and then two months later, it's like there's something completely that revolutionizes what you were trying to do in the first place. And so, especially like on Maui, like you watch all, you see all these guys and you know, they're on one foil one month and then the next month it's like, the new great thing and it's like just can't keep up with it mm -hmm. yep. especially so. when it's so new yeah and new and also as addicting as foiling is and i think what's happening in hawaii is if you looked at you know when the go foil came out and the, the, the that one kai video that got everybody going is that they had the low aspect wings which is what started the whole thing it was super fat this way and super fat this way but if you look at it, as the skills, the skill level progresses now that the sport's three years in, the, the wings are getting higher and higher aspect. Like you were talking about your 1550 is the same width as your 16, but it's like two thirds the front to back. So I don't know exactly what, how that affects lift or any of that other stuff, but it definitely, I think it's a maneuverability and per, from a performance standpoint. Again, I don't have any experience with it, but I think it's uh yeah, I think for your listeners that are that are interested in foiling, the the my good friend Eric Antonson, um, he did this in stand up paddle surfing. So he he really broke down the progression of his own stand up paddle surfing progression, or and he's doing the same thing on foiling, and so he he has about fifteen episodes as part of it's called the Progression Podcast, and he's really Kind of tried to tackle the the you know the equipment side of things the um you know from the top athletes in the world um and it's been very helpful and he's been a, a, a super helpful just friend and coach as far as uh trying to understand the progression of my own uh uh just learning curve but you know one thing that he's he's also talked about which which i find to be what makes the the all these sports so addicting whether your endurance uh paddle racing um crossings but foiling is is very unique from from a feeling of, of a flow state that i think we all seek in in a lot of these sports um there's an element of of being above the water and in that in that zone very quickly that kind of gets you into this place where time starts to dilate and you're, you feel the nuances of, of this wing below the water and it's, it's just flowing so 
um, so smoothly and it's so quiet. Uh, I'd say it's it's like it's like no, no sport that I felt besides like powder skiing or powder snowboarding down some big open field. It's the only thing that that comes close to that that feeling of just um, really effortless flow. And maybe that's the effortless part is what's so addicting, right? It's because, you know, surfing, you've got the drag of the board skis, you've got the drag of the skis of the snowboard, even at top speed, you're still kind of being held back by that. And, and I mean, to, to me, that's a draw. And that's what I want to learn for is for the downwind side of it, of just being yeah. able to get out there and just get up above the water and just link bumps and just be out there by yourself in the water and with like no friction, just like you say, just coasting along and flying along the top of the water and not having to use a jet ski or yeah. you know, get away from the gas and all that other stuff. But. There was one day I was doing a downwind run on the south side of Maui and I was on my canoe and out of nowhere, Dave Kalama and his kid Austin just come flying by. It was like two fighter jets just out of nowhere, just <sighs> right by me just silent and just disappeared that quickly because wow. they were just so fast they were flying they were they were flowing for sure uh, it, was, it was pretty amazing to watch and um yeah i i guess i have to get on the uh the foil train here eventually yeah, I mean, if you, do you guys feel do you feel endurance sports i know you guys covered this in your first two podcasts but do you think there's a flow, a similar flow state that you arrive at in in a long endurance competition or endurance? I think you have moments of it. Yeah. I think there are moments where they talk about anybody that does long stuff like that. They talk about the highs and the lows, and there's there's always the lows where you're just like, what the fuck am I doing out here? But the highs when you're really like you've got your rhythm, your stroke is like you know, working good and you're, you're cruising along and you're out there for sure. I think that takes, I think that's the beauty of the longer races for me is that like in the six miles and the shorter sprint races, you just, it's just kind of, it's over in an hour. And the beauty of the longer events, I think, and when you get into some aspects of a flow state is when you're two, three, four, five hours in. And that's when you really get to that, like you start getting into those, that, cyclical type of racing where you're getting highs and lows and you know one minute you're on the top of the world the next minute you're like on the verge of tears and but definitely i think you do i don't think it's anything like like foiling maybe it is maybe your downtime on the foil is you're kind of thinking about things and but when you're you're in that moment a flow state of like almost a meditative state where you're not thinking about anything but what you're doing at that moment i think i don't think it's probably as long term as foiling like if you're on a wave and say you're you're doing a maliko run and you're doing nine miles and you're flying the whole way i mean i imagine there are times when you can space out a little bit but to have to be constantly focusing on a downhill slope to catch on to to keep accelerating i don't think you can get that endurance endurance racing you definitely get aspects of it but i don't i don't think Again, I don't have the experience in foiling to to have any authority on it, but that's what I've heard from some of some of my friends who have they're much further downstream on on foiling, where you're starting to uh, so if you're surfing foils and you're 
you're now seeing the landscape differently mm -hmm. in the sense of you know pumping to the next uh, area of energy mm -hmm. that you can turn on and 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 so the pumping and linking of turns it changes the dynamic of kind of how you see mm -hmm. how you see the water mm -hmm. and you see the water as oh there's a potential right. source of energy oh there's some source of energy and I think downwind it's probably very similar very where you're kind of going from bump to bump yeah. and and seeking out that energy that uh, you know is below the water yeah um, and that 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 certainly is an interesting state of of awareness yeah that where you're kind of locked into that uh, just another level of, um, of of concentration yeah observational awareness or whatever you want to call it yeah the interesting thing about flowing too is that you have the ability to actually outrun the energy source like with with canoes and stand-ups you know the idea is you kind of want to park it at the top of the bump and just ride it as long as you can and not get into the trough and poke into the back of the next one I, i'm not that good at that either but it seems like with foiling it's, it would be very easy to kind of outrun your energy source because there's virtually no friction right you could probably but i imagine you come up over the next one and drop in and i mean it must just be incredible i guess that's the the meta theme that i've thought about like what connects all of these, you know, passions that we have, mm -hmm. whether it be, you know, stand-up paddle racing or foiling or kite surfing. Yeah. It's kind of a link back to this, to this kind of quest for a flow state and the, the feeling of being in that, in that zone. Yeah. Uh, and those different, I guess I felt it. The first time I felt that so dramatically is like learning. Uh, I'd never been in, I'd never done anything that um, that harnessed wind, and so learning to kite surf was very chaotic, and I didn't like it in the beginning because it was in a very chaotic environment. It was windy, it was loud, and you're trying to kind of connect all of these things, and and it just wasn't a good feeling. But there was a breakthrough moment where all all these things kind of came together and the wind quieted hmm. and there was this this sense of calm in the chaos wow and it was it was at that moment that i that i fell in love with with the sport and it was um but it took a while to break through the chaos of it hmm. but because of the chaos it made the it made that still moment in the midst of it yeah. much more pleasurable and I think that that's similar with a lot of these because they're they're very difficult at, at first to mm -hmm. to kind of connect a, a number of things so subtly yeah so so what that's a, that's an interesting point so I'm wondering if there's something addictive about that flow state like why do we sit in the water for hours like during a hurricane swell in New England you'll see guys do six seven eight hour sessions and how much of that eight hours of time is actually spent in that flow state planing on the surface of a wave, right? Mm -hmm. So say you surf for eight hours and you caught, say you were catching, you were killing it and you were catching 10 waves an hour. So that's 80 waves and say averaging 10, 15 seconds a wave. So whatever that math is, I mean, it's literally minutes in an eight hour session of this flow state. And so 
There's got to be something addicting there. It's probably a chemical response in your brain that just like blasts the brain mm-hmm. that you just want more of. Well, what is it about that like singular focus in things like why is meditation so popular now? Trying, I think it's an attempt to get there. And I think the ease of achieving the flow state through these sports we're talking about is there's something about the level of focus you have to have when you're riding away you have to pay attention to where you're at like what you know all the factors because you're trying to literally ride this band of energy or you're trying to keep your kite in the exact power zone where you want it without overpowering without underpowering requires an insane amount of focus same with foiling and that was the question i was going to pose to you is away from the flow state thing but i'm seeming to have seeming to have trouble not with the forward and aft um, trimming of the wings, but the side to side. Like my all my wipeouts seem to be rolling either off my toes or off my heels. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's a heel side thing. Like you see a lot of guys fall on the on the wing. Yeah. And does that get easier? Obviously, it has to. But yeah, I think I think the the, the first tendency is to try to surf a foil, like mm-hmm. the way that you would normally direct. A stand up or a surfboard. Yeah. So toe heavy, heel heavy. Yeah. Um, and what ends up happening is that you're you're oversteering the wing, and you can't recover. As soon as a wing oversteers, the best thing is just to and jump. jump jump off of it because yeah. if you try to kind of what you normally might yeah. do is to kind of cut back. I'm trying to recover. That's when you land sideways on the wing, and that's where most of your injuries are, are occurring. Um, so just kind of like probably an airplane, as you start to be kind of have slower mm-hmm. uh, slower carbs, at least initiating yeah. a little bit slower, more deliberate. Um, so you think it's it's not so much rail and back foot pressure, whereas more of because you see a lot of shoulder rotation where the shoulders, the hips follow the shoulders, follow, you know, the feet follow the hips, follow the shoulders. So it's more of a rotating in, in the direction that you want to go without so much pitching the board. Obviously, there's some pitching there, but... Yeah, you're, you're much more front foot mm. weighted in foiling, and your back foot is light. Mm. Um, the way that I think about it is I want my... You know, just the way you see something, maybe see someone... Gonna drop a knee going into a barrel like mm-hmm. that. The feeling of being very dynamic on your back foot to mm-hmm. go from wow. you can back weight a little bit or you could drop your knee and and really get that weight forward. Yep. Um, to be able to to change their weight distribution very easily and quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but for sure, much more front foot weighted, and that's mm-hmm. the biggest adjustment I think most people make with foiling. And that probably just gets down to putting the time in just like kiting. Yeah. You hit that wall of that where you hit the the upward slope of the curve and it's just like ah, this is bullshit. But then if you keep pushing through which I think is good is anything that requires that effort, right? You don't you don't just become a concert pianist by taking a one line one hour online class. It takes years and years and years of dedication. I think this is a condensed version of mastery right you get to a point of proficiency where that upward climb to the level of proficiency is sends most people packing but the people that stay with it and dedicate to it they reap the rewards i think you mentioned that about kiting a while back yeah and just 
I just saw a, a video I mentioned uh, a friend of mine who's been progressing really steadily and you know sent me a text last weekend and he's like I had the most incredible breakthrough so what do you what do you mean like you're you're already so proficient pumping linking 10 20 waves at a time and yeah. um, and and then he sent me the video and I said I said you you look totally different wow. on the board like every scene, everything is just seems to be clicking clicking and it looked so much more effortless in his wow. and he could he could feel it so mm -hmm. it's just incredible like even at the was it just a little adjustment that he made and he couldn't even describe it it was like a subconscious thing it, it becomes at least with pumping which it, it, i haven't mastered pumping and linking waves at the level um or not even just the level i'd like like you know that's the next big breakthrough for me i need to need to put the time in that's your next step yeah and um but just now the how e easy some of the top athletes in the world look mm. when they're pumping from wave to wave mm -hmm. uh like kiahi like you look at just his technique and it's just like is he really even working like it's mm -hmm. just so effortless well i think that kind of links back to what you were talking about with and the endurance athletes and you know getting in the flow is that when whenever you're doing one of these sports whether it's long distance paddling or even just going surfing or now foiling when you're when you're doing these the only thing that matters is what you're doing there's no outside distractions and in today's world there's so many distractions but mm -hmm. you know if good point when, when you're doing them it's this is all that you need to do and you have to be super focused on it or else you die mm -hmm. um and so <laughs> because of that your your brain and your body are the machine and or your your body's the machine your brain is is kind of the control panel and your body just kind of does the work and so you know just like any you know, we talk about progress, you make the progress, you take the steps, your body knows the motions that it needs to do. And so you, you get into that, that flow state and your body is just reacting and your brain is just at that point, just using a joystick, mm -hmm. really subtly making adjustments and, um, you just, you just go. Um, so that's uh, probably why it looks effortless because yeah. it really is at that point effortless because you've taken all the steps to get to that point. You're in that state of flow, and it's just a little guy, a little joystick. Yeah, and you always, you always hear people too that are kind of at the top end of their either career, um, like occupation or sports, and there's always that reference of this is what you see, but this is what you don't see. You don't see the years and years of grinding and 4 a.m. wake ups and all this to put in the reps to get to the point. They just say, "Oh man, that guy made like overnight success," but it's like every overnight success is backed by years and years of practice and i mean so you're looking at these kids like we're saying and they're three well you know you know surf foiling is what going on four years now three years so there are people who got started from the very beginning like those spencer brothers and those guys are just like bang, bang, bang. like they literally look like they're walking on water yeah they they probably started with all the bad equipment yeah they and, started the same time kylie they've did gotten it. every single yeah every single piece of new equipment and as the yeah. equipment got better it got their easier for got them better, yeah. and they already had the the base because they had to start mm -hmm. with the bad equipment mm -hmm. so yeah they put the they, time in it's funny we've been kind of 
circling around this meta theme of, of time and, and time dilation in that flow state. And I think, I think you, we've all had this experience where, um, you probably remember certain waves that you've, that you've surfed that moment. Oh yeah. I always can sometimes like feel the, the time, what it, what it felt like to be in that. And it was probably what lasted at a three seconds. Mm -hmm. Remember that time in, we were in Puerto Rico. We were there for yeah. the uh, the Beach Boy race, yeah. and we caught um, Trace Thomas. You know, just happened to be a random day. Yep. Uh, there was not one person. No out. wind. No people out. It was four friends, and like good, you know, beginner size, but fun, super fun size Trace. And that whole session is just seared in my memory. Fun size trace is how big were those faces? Yeah, I mean the set, you know, sets were over double overhead, easy. <laughs> but it was just amazing thing us. There was four of us out, and one of us was kind of not even in the mix, and the, so three of us were just swapping. Well, it was four, but it's just you know those moments of and those and, and like we'll remember that that time like that that limited amount of time or even those certain some of those drops that we had like and those so those time little time slots become incredibly valuable but they're also very like vivid in our minds mm. you know so this idea that the relativity of what time really is and is it i mean einstein i guess gave us some glimpse into the fact that you know time is is relative like if you are um on top of a mountain like you're aging faster than you would closer to the center of the earth and and so that's a because of the rotational speed is that how that it's just gravity oh wow um but i mean we don't notice it in our you know normal things it's you know minute amounts of seconds but but it did show that the time isn't a, a fixed thing Mm -hmm. So maybe what we're seeking is something that is through these sports and through these these attempts at, at capturing that flow state is to is to kind of pause time or, or, or yeah slow it down slow down that is an interesting point and what if it does slow down I mean what I mean what if time is just a, a human idea because mm -hmm. like you said I mean that's a good point I never thought about it that way but when you everybody remembers their first wave or like those five like the first time you get barreled the first time whatever there's just those times when you showed up and the conditions have been all time and you get that one wave and that's just what you remember because and that memory if you think about all the other memories that have been condensed into the timeline of your brain that one takes up a particularly fat chunk of that time which is amazing to think about actually and i think at the the why the endurance the endurance sports are so are so interesting is because when you do have that that moment that breakthrough where you've gotten through a challenging uh you know a challenging event um is you also feel that mm. like you feel that moment of of reflection pause and total presence mm -hmm. that is you know i think would be a a close relation to that flow state Maybe there's a connection there too between the learning 
I think there's something, and it may be off topic, I don't know, but I think in, in regards to the endurance stuff, I mean, everybody always asks, like, why do you do stuff like Chatter Jack? Why do you do stuff like Molokai? Why do you do... And there's, and I'm, I still, to this day, haven't seen a good definition of... Actually, I have seen a few. I can't really articulate what it is, but the general idea is that there's something necessary and challenge as human beings, like, but prior to our our civilized lifestyle of, you know, we've got heat, we've got electricity, like... We lack challenge in our life, and there's something about overcoming a challenge that is necessary to a content human existence. And I don't know if, you know, like, there's just something about when you go out and do a thousand mile canoe race and you finish it, and it's just like there's that sense of achievement that you put your mind to something and you sat through some really shitty times and you got to the other side, and that's like maybe. I don't know. I don't know what it is. There's a currency there, or maybe that's the kind of stuff that you need to feel content at the end of your life of like, I've got this box of these experiences and challenges that I overcame that I'm something to be proud of. It's like the car, whatever the house, whatever, but there's something I think that we all need. And, and, uh, I don't know, man, there's something, I, I just don't think that, and again, is it off topic? I don't know. But the convenience that we have, I think we need to expose ourselves to these challenges in order to be content and satisfied. I would say not even, the happy part of it doesn't even come into it, but I think fulfilled. Like we need to overcome challenges. I think it's just part of the underlying software that's running in us is mm -hmm. there's something that, you know, why else would people go out and do like the MR340 where you're paddling 340 miles down a river in one shot, like unsupported, unstopped, 340 miles in the canoe. Like, why the hell would you do that? There's something at the other end of that that's so rewarding that it makes the suffering you endure during the event worthwhile. There's a different topic, but similar concept is what did what did we do yesterday? Yeah, we just I, we went for it. <laughs> we built a bridge. We're sitting at Chris's house here and looking down at a bridge where. Chris has been kind of hinting that we should build a bridge. We should build a bridge. And it's a it's a pond that's 30 feet across. There's four trees, two on either end of the pond that are in a perfect position to support a bridge. And there was just something satisfying about overcoming a challenge of like, how are we going to do this? There's no lumber available that's going to span that in one piece. So we just improvised and built off of the skills that we had. We used what we had basically a chainsaw and like a screw gun with a dead battery and <laughs> in five hours time we built a bridge that spanned uh 32 feet. feet and then there's something in that because at the end of the day we're smiling and happy and just like that was a good day and that was a good day and like in my book would i rather be home working in the rain and being fucking miserable or would i rather be hanging out with a couple of my friends doing something that has no purpose other than to just get it done and see if you can build a bridge conquer the challenge right <laughs> so there's something in that i think in endurance paddling and maybe this is something we can tap into in further episodes too of like but i think we would find a common theme across the landscape of endurance sports of of why we do it and i think it's just it's fulfilling there's something rewarding about overcoming challenge side note 
one of my favorite phrases is build a bridge and get over it. Is it really? I like that. Really? Well, there's just so many people who complain about um, really not important shit and they just really need to build a bridge and get over it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because what's the point in worrying about it? Right. And that's it. When it's really not that important. Yeah. And I think that that circles back to what we were just talking about. Like I was reading a book recently. I can't remember what it was, but the guy was saying about the, uh, you know, that's like the fucks given thing. That's all trendy right now. It's like, how many fucks am I going to give on this? But there are people that will go to a restaurant, right? And just like, oh, my soup's not right. And they just create this gigantic scene over such a petty thing. And my theory is, and his theory is, is that you don't have enough challenge in your life. because we... He being me. Yeah, no, but also this author is that we need challenge in order to be content. And I think when you sit in a heated house and you don't have to work or you work very little or whatever, um, I think that you end up fabricating challenges, right? You, you have, we all need problems, right? And I think we run from them and we're kind of in this happy addicted society where people have got all these freaking memes and like posters in their bathrooms that say, love, love with all your heart, love until the turtles come back to the pond, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, I think, we, I think we need challenge. And I think that's what we're coming around to here is that if you don't have these challenges, you will fabricate something to overcome, whether that be a conflict with your spouse or your children or the restaurant employee that's gotten your soup wrong or whatever it is, we all need challenge. And I think maybe a new movement should be to kind of embrace adversity more than it is to push it away. And maybe we're going totally off topic with paddling, but I think when you dig deep into this, the root of why we do these things, it's because we need to overcome these things. Well, that's why we're all moving on to foiling, because it's the newest challenge. Yeah, exactly. Everybody figured out stand-up paddleboarding. We kind of figured, well, some of us have figured out canoeing. I haven't. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other big lore. The next one is... is Foiling, it's something new, and it's a new challenge, so. I think with foiling, too, that that foiling opens up um, breaks in areas that are less crowded. You know, the, the non-ideal solution with foiling is to show up with your foil at a, at a crowded break. Like, that's, that's, that's a complete... No, no, they're, they're, these are two dangerous pieces of equipment, mm-hmm. even for the best of athletes. So what, what I think foiling done right is, is to go to a place that would normally be a mushy wave for surfing or for stand-up surfing, and it opens up a, an area that's uncrowded, that you can experience nature, or a place in nature that you've never, that you've never had the opportunity to surf. And that, that, for me, is what makes this sport so so much more beautiful is that I'm now experiencing places that I never thought I'd be surfing waves and that that's so cool and it's and these are empty and well yeah you're you're getting to get into that flow state without without the traffic exactly it's a it's an open highway and, it, and there's a little bit of that magic too of the endless summer 
idea of you know, how many more really perfect surfing waves are there left to be discovered with Google Maps. I mean, they found Skeleton Bay five years ago in Namibia. There's probably, there's probably a bunch more, but there's so many more shitty waves. And mm -hmm. I think you can have that kind of aha, oh my God, I discovered a new spot moment. It's so much more accessible now with the foil. Like there's probably hundreds of waves along this coast that no one's ever even thought about. You know, you get a swell and you go off Rockport somewhere and there's a little submerged reef a half mile offshore. It's like, oh, it's a 50 yard ride there now. Where before it was like, nope. And you saw this summer when we were at that location in New England, um, <laughs> not far well from, done, son. <laughs> not far from probably one of the, our favorite surf spots. Mm -hmm. And 50 yards down the beach was a, a rock, looked like a rock garden to me and other uh, most people would call it a you know an area that you'd never see a surfer in. never and all of a sudden you know it's a legit wave josh and i uh headed out there with foils and yeah. we happened to be both be on efoil at that point and uh we were dialing in 50 60 waves uh each on a spot that had Never been surfed. Literally, <laughs> I've never been surfed. Literally, a three-minute paddle from one of the most popular breaks in the area, in southeastern New England, probably, if you could get to it. And slightly bigger, it was slightly a foot higher than the break, yeah. the literally regular right, break, right next door. Yeah, a fifty to 60, 50, 100 yard ride, probably on a foil. Yeah, from the outside foil to the rocks inside is probably a hundred yards. So thinking, th thinking about that, it's like. Not only are you getting to go surf and you get get in that flow state from surfing, but then you're you're accomplishing a goal by making it a mission. Like, oh, I think this this place mm -hmm. is going to happen, mm -hmm. and so you've done your research. You have the equipment. You're making the trek. You're finding the flow. Like, it's the whole. That's the whole package, mm -hmm. right? Like, that's it's like. It's like the endurance race going all the way through and that big feeling at the end. So yeah. not only are you getting it during, but then you get the big blast, that big, that big dopamine hit at the end. It's like, man, look what we did today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like no one was there. That was our spot. We found it. Mm -hmm. So there's that, there's that exploration piece yeah. that, that lives, lives in us as well. So, and there's that introduction of the, the kind of the two tiered level of that where you know, there's all there's only one first time. There's the first time you first time you ever kiss your wife is never gonna be the same. First time you do Chattajack, it'll never be the same because the it's the unknowns in that first time where you go mm -hmm. out and say, Is this even doable? Is this possible? Can I do this? And when you overcome that, I mean every other time after that is amazing, but that first time, like that that discovery sense of hitting a spot for the first time being like, Holy shit, that was the first one to ever do this. And you just having that mystery and that 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 like unknown, like conquering the unknown. That's like next level past. It's interesting thinking about that. All having those amazing firsts, but then also enjoying the consistency of being in a place that you get to know over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And I think that 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 happy medium of not being present, but all, or, and also still experiencing first versus always being on the lookout for yeah. adding those, those 
having an addiction of new experiences mm -hmm. versus um, understanding the, the mastery that comes with just being yeah. deliberate and consistent. Yeah. Plus, with all those new spots, you're eliminating that the friction that crowds bring, right? You're not having to wait and think about other people's, you know, you, you've got it to yourself. Everybody wants a little more, you know, is a, is a crowd of three better on a one peak wave than 30? Absolutely. Yeah. One story I want to bring up, I may have told this to at least Patrick, but I had this experience with a, I don't know if he was a first time foiler or not, but I went to, uh, fairly popular spot on the south shore of Maui uh, during a summer swell and the, it was probably like shoulder to head high faces so not not a huge day but I paddle out I'm on my longboard this guy on a foil looks at me and says I'll try not to drop in on you he was on probably a six or seven foot long stand-up paddleboard. He had on a helmet, some sunglasses, elbow pads, an impact <laughs> vest, a full wetsuit, shin guards, booties, and he's out at a popular break on a day when there's waves, fairly crowded, probably numbers in the 20s to 30s of people. He looks right at me, says, I'll try not to drop in on you. Sure as shit, the first wave I go for, I drop in on, I'm going, he drops right in on me, proceeds to go ass over tea kettle, foil comes flying up in the air, I, I couldn't believe it, and I, I'm paddling back out, and I just stop, kind of shrug my shoulders, look at him, really? And I just keep paddling. And so that's the kind of thing that is happening at places on Maui. At the same time, there's legit pros that know exactly what they're doing, and you're probably the liability out there, not them. But that guy exists, so be careful. <laughs> I think it exists in everything, though. In stand-up, it started out that way where you get people that kind of came from a non-surfing background. Those people still exist on Maui yeah. as well. Yeah. Dropping in on waves which is on the, their knees. Yeah. Which on is overhead the, days which is the, at popular breaks. Yeah. But I think that gets back to what we were just talking about. Like that's the beauty of it is you can go find your own spot somewhere and not so if you're listening and you're that guy Go just, find your own yeah, spot. Yeah just go find a peak somewhere. Like mm. like in the parking lot. <laughs> um we should set the scene a little bit. We're it's snowing here. This is our we've had a this is our first snowfall it came last night. Uh, it's it, snowing again. It just started. It was raining this morning, but now it's just switched back to snow. It's yeah. been snowing pretty hard for the last half hour. I I've been watching it out the window as we've been doing this and growing more and more. Uh, anxious about my drive home. <laughs> Mostly because of the other people who don't know how to drive in the snow. I still got it. 
I, I always appreciate that the birds always know when it's snowing. I say they get extra active on the feeders here. Oh. So I've had five or six varieties are just kind of coming in for their get their evening fill before the uh, snow covers it all up. Yeah. So just like kind of in wrapping up off topic. If you could give one sentence of advice and one book to read, because I think of you as a really well-read individual, and like I mentioned before, you you do a really good job of analyzing things and breaking things down, and you've given me a lot of advice over the years on different things. Is there anything you can pass on to anyone who's listening? It can be foiling related. It can be life related. Whatever, whatever is on on your on your brain right now, and a book you would recommend, um, not necessarily related to that, but just in general that you've read and you think is a valuable piece of information. Before you answer, I'll finish. You're setting the scene here. What, 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 <laughs> Will, what Will didn't mention is that. We're sitting in Chris's office, which is what's known as the White Whale, and it's, what is this, 10 by 12? Sounds about right. Yeah, so we're in a 10 by 12 hip roof cottage with French doors, glass all around, and within this space, there's probably probably 300 books. I would, maybe 200, two to 300 books. There's four flat shelves and then two uh, vertical shelves and another shelf full of books of topics ranging from everything to everything. And uh, I can see where Einstein to Eckhart Tolle investing thermodynamics, physics, cubism, art. So, so the book and advice. Yeah, no, I'm not one to distill advice, but the, the, the thing I find most valuable whether I'm talking to someone who's who's just starting their career or they're later in their career is that that you think about things from a from a longer term perspective you know think about um, kind of long-term time horizons with, with whatever you're whatever you're trying to solve for and and to be very deliberate about um, of playing what I call it, uh, what I call it, but a uh, you know an infinite game versus a finite game, and, and that's going to be the book that I would recommend is this book by Jim Cars, James P. Cars called uh, Finite and Infinite Games, and it just kind of defines that there's two types of individual generally that there are those that are kind of playing a finite game to win, that there's always a win lose. Uh, aspect to how they play uh, versus someone who's playing an infinite game is that the game never ends is that there's no finish line and in business or in your personal relationships you know when you're when you're thinking about approaching everything from an infinite game like how do you how do you determine win-win outcomes and how are you going to treat your counterparty in a business transaction when 
you want to make sure that there's no lose on the other on the other side of the table, but that everyone can win. And um, and I think that that's a uh, when you approach life from an infinite game perspective, you t what you generate is these positive feedback loops that tend to feed on themselves. Where win lose, you know, any system that has a win lose will be unsustainable through time. Um, eventually, the lose creates a you know, if you're win-lose with your employees or you're win-lose with your personal relationships, you're creating a win for yourself and a lose for someone else, eventually that's unsustainable. The only system that's sustainable through time is win-win. So, you know, I think those two concepts of just, um, you know, thinking from win-win perspectives and, and that particular book is probably the book I gift the most. Uh, there's a class that I teach and the fi our final class is Wednesday and I've, I've just ordered 70 of those books to give to seven the, zero seven zero to give to the students uh, as my parting gift, and I'll be interviewing in a fireside chat um, the author of that book on Wednesday night, and uh, and it's one of my one of my favorites of all time. That doesn't mean that a win win is dropping in on someone on a foil. That would be win lose. That's going to be a win lose, <laughs> even though you think it's going to be a win win, and you both get the wave. That's not that's, that's not, not a good outcome. That's a lose lose on that one. That's that's a lose lose. Uh, <laughs> and to to those that love the topic of quality, quality in everything you do, quality if you're learning to foil, or quality in in how you approach anything. My two favorite books on quality are Robert Persig's uh, two I think masterful books, which is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which was his first book, and then his second book, Lila. And you can see on your shelf above you will is that's a little collection of my favorite books but those the turquoise book and those two right there are, are persig's two books uh so those have a special um meaning to me uh as far as thinking about dynamic quality versus static quality in um in pursuing any art don't you have motorcycle man's over there too i thought i saw it um possibly i got a few copies yeah, there's another copy right there. Oh, yeah. I own two of those books. You do? Which in, one? In that small collection of books that are some of your favorites, I own two of them. Is uh, Do you play Share? I, I own The Alchemist. Beautiful. And I, I also own Poems of the Sea. Oh. On the far left is a German translation of Moby Dick. Wow. And as Patrick mentioned, the, the loose... Uh, name for this little office which is just a little writing office is uh it's called the white whale and it came it comes from uh, melville's moby dick uh the idea that you know the white whale was the was the unanswerable question the that that was kind of that ahab was after to try to figure out that unanswerable question or that so i think about the trying to spend more time in the questions than the answers is kind of the the theme i think of of how i approach you know philosophy in general it's interesting i never thought of the white whale just to drag it on a little longer as the unanswerable question that's a good way to put it when you think about when you're constantly trying to answer the question that isn't answerable it ends up in your own demise like it's your white whale yeah then my good friend josh would you he would always say, you know, what's the most important question that 
that something, that whatever you're trying to solve, there's an MIQ, there's a most important question. And I've always challenged, I said, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in the MIQ, but I'm more interested in the OEQ, which is what is the open-ended question? What are those questions that are unanswerable? And the white whale question. Those are the white whale questions. And those are the really, really interesting ones. Because in seeking, taking those further and further and further, you're, you're approaching things through first principles. You're getting to the source code or the source of, of that which gives rise to all reality. And that's why physics, if physics is interesting to you, is because physics has the longest duration uh, of, uh, of existence, right? So if you think of a thread that goes from the beginning, we, it gave rise to physics. And then it gave rise to chemistry. And then it gave rise to biology. Then it gave rise to keep following the thread to human history. And now we have you know, technology that's along that thread. But it's all a thread. And so the idea that, that these, these disciplines all exist independently is, is false. It's, it's just a timeline of existence, and they all share the same origin. And so when you think of biology, it's just an extension of chemistry, which was then an extension of physics. And then you have, you know, so when someone says, I'm interested in quantum mechanics, I'm like, yeah, you should be, because that's, you're getting close to the start, the, the start, <clears throat> you know, and, and, and fractally, right. So on the, on the, on the downstream manifestation of what quantum mechanics is, is yeah, we should see em the emergence of quantum mechanical behavior because we see it in the beginning and we see it on the small scale. We should see it in the large scale. Um, and so the world becomes much simpler and less siloed. I think when you think of things through a perspective of time, uh, a perspective of that each is just a, a different downstream manifestation of the same of the same laws. And maybe it's not a downstream. Maybe it's a circle. Ooh. Because if the if you're searching if if that's the OEQ as you called it or the the open-ended question open-ended open question right. So you go to the end of your you know your physics to biology to chemistry to humanity to technology and technology is going to bring us right back to the beginning and it'll start all over again it's like the unanswerable question but it's fun to seek the answers i think but i think it, i don't know maybe it isn't it isn't I mean, it's one of those things like life where the more you learn the more you realize you don't learn and you just can keep going indefinitely well the same most oeqs the open-ended question should be paradoxical Meaning, meaning that, like Heraclitus said, the way up and the way down is the same. Well, you know, that doesn't make any sense at all. That's nonsensical. But if it's a, if you're if you're talking like what you said, is it a circle? Well, the way up and the way down is the same. Mm -hmm. On the on the surface of a sphere. So, you know, I think that things are when you when you arrive at a paradox or you you find a paradox. You should pause and reflect because that you're close to a truth. I think we live too much in a world where we are apt to think about a binary or a duality. That something is you're a Democrat or I'm a Republican or Hot, something. Cold, black, white. But what you find is when where there are opposites, 
is there's likely a unification of the opposites that's I'm more of the, the truth. The line that bonds the yin and the yang. It's not the yin and the yang. It's the the surface of the two meeting. It's the yeah. there's an emergent quality, everything, and a submergent quality. Wow. It gives rise to the oneness that that which is. So I think that that is a I think a, a better way to, to think about it. And I think Heraclitus, which I mentioned, is is probably the best. He's pre-Socratic philosopher that that was kind of the basis of his of his philosophy and his insight um, um, is this like, concept of the unity of the opposites, which is being discovered at the same time as Lao Tzu wrote the Tao Te Ching, which also arrived at some of the same conclusions wow. around 500 BC. That's really interesting. I'm going to reread that book, by the way. Which one? Uh, Art of teaching. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the one I gifted you, right? You gifted it to me. I've read it three or four times now. I love it. I, I get something new from it every time. So, um, Any dream foil surf spots you want to hit in the next couple of years? The, like, top of the list. Where would you go right now if you, if you could just jump? I, only one. So my, one of my dreams, because I've never been there, is to go to Tavarua or um, Nomotu, probably more Nomotu specifically in, in foil and tofoil there for a week. Let's it, go. it just seems to me that the place where you can, one, have the best time with your friends yeah. in a setting where you get to celebrate at the end of the day in a very simple setting. I've never been there, so I've only gone, just know it by pictures. Uh, but now to do it on foil, and toe foil would be yeah there's that wave the foil garden out there yeah that's basically where it all started that's the video that the pumping video that's where the first two for one video came from when kailani pumped back out and got another wave that was there that was there foil wow. garden and it was like what game changer yeah we should all let's organize a trip man i would love that i don't know how hard it is to get in now with you know tabaru is usually booked by billabong for a month and but i think you can get in on slots i think I don't know. We have to find out when the good season is, but I was there 21 years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. I swore I'd go back every year, but dude, it's unbelievable. Done. It's a magical place. We should do it. We should all gather and figure out a way to get over there. Spend a week on Numbo 2. Let's do it. Well, it's always an awesome conversation with you. I, I love talking with you. I love picking your brain about things. Um, it's like brain yoga. Yeah. I, I love hearing about foiling, and I I need to uh, get on the train. I'm in, I'm in the spot to do it. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, and, uh, good conversation. Next time, I will be back to board shorts and flip-flops and wow. none of this snow garbage. I'm going to leave that behind here in a few days. But, uh, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, share it with your friends, send us some feedback, and you can also follow us on Instagram. We're at wicked.aloha.podcast. As always, everyone, keep moving forward.